I'd like to draw your attention to the last chapter of Matthew. Now, one of the things that Matthew 28 is famous for at the tail end is the Great Commission, the commissioning of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But we're going to go up to the beginning of the chapter and be studying primarily verses 5 and 6 today. And the title of the message is A Gravesite You'll Enjoy Visiting. This is one gravesite you're going to enjoy visiting. I want to begin by getting us thinking about some of the challenges that people experience on a day-to-day basis. I hear people say things like, I feel kind of empty inside. Have you ever thought about that uh, for yourself? Or, I have nothing left. I've lost my job. I lost my spouse. I'm getting old. I have nothing left. We hear people saying that on occasion. Or there is an emptiness I feel inside because I lost that person that I so love. Or when I'm alone, I have this feeling of emptiness inside of me. And of course, this is normal, especially for people that may be isolated right now and they're living all by their lonesome. This can be a challenging time. Well, into this emptiness, people have sought to bring solutions. One of the most famous statements given by an agnostic, basically an atheist, but probably more accurately an agnostic, by the name of Carl Sagan, was this. This was his solution that he offered the world to the question of human emptiness. He said, in our searching, meaning our searching for meaning and purpose, in our searching, the only thing we found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other. Well, I can appreciate the fact that relationships are special and relationships are important. And we love our relationships with one another. And in fact, we miss being in each other's presence. But let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. Relationships in and of themselves with other people can also be disappointing. Can also be filled with pain and hurt and broken confidences and gossip and slander. And a lack of loyalty. If we're just going to trust in each other to fill our need for purpose and perspective, sometimes we might be satisfied, but much of the time we're not going to be satisfied at all. There has to be more. So what do we do with our emptiness, with our feelings of isolation, with our loneliness? Do we just try to bear up under it, maybe add another best friend to the equation, hoping that somehow it will fill our emptiness? No. To be empty means something's missing. Something's not available. And what we learn from the Word of God is that on an ultimate level, there is an emptiness inside of us as creatures that no other creature can fulfill. And that nothing in the created order can satisfy. People have tried to find satisfaction in the created order. One of the most famous examples of this in the Bible was the the King Solomon. King Solomon, the guy was a genius. He was wise beyond belief. And he essentially had everything the world could offer a man. And at the end of it all, he said meaningless, meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. 
And in the book of Ecclesiastes, which records his laments, there's also a hint of hope that true meaning is not found under the sun where we live. But true meaning is found when we adopt a, what we could call an over the sun perspective, an otherworldly perspective. That, that's, that was, that's what Solomon taught us in the book of Ecclesiastes. But in the New Testament, we find a similar truth being taught in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which again, we're celebrating today. There is one empty place. There is one empty place that you can go to where you'll actually be filled with hope. Do you know what it is? You guessed it. In Jesus' empty tomb, ironically, you will be filled with hope. In the emptiness, in the absence of Christ, is life. Who would have thought it? But that's what the Bible teaches us. On Easter Sunday, that Easter Sunday long ago, Two of Jesus' female disciples. Remember I taught on Palm Sunday that there were multitudes of disciples that came to worship Christ and lay down their cloaks on the road and so forth. We often think of the disciples as just, well, the 12 guys. But Jesus had a broader broader gathering of disciples that followed him, both men and women. And these were two of Jesus' disciples. Both of them were Mary's. That was their name. And on that Easter Sunday long ago, they did what people who are mourning do. They visited Jesus' gravesite. Now, when we go to gravesites, we never go eagerly. Nobody gets out of bed and is like, you know what? I'd love to go to a cemetery and just visit a grave. I mean, there's, I find no more joy, no more peace than hanging out at gravesites. Now, we we go to commemorate. We go to acknowledge the loss of someone that we love. And we do find a measure of solace and peace there. So likewise, Jesus' disciples, these two women in particular, the Bible says, In Matthew 28, and we're going to start with verse 1 to 4 to kind of set the context for verses 5 and 6, which I want to especially focus in on. The Bible says, now after the Sabbath, so the Sabbath was the Jewish Saturday, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day. So toward the dawn would mean just before the sun was fully up. So really, really, really early in the morning, maybe like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 5.30 or maybe 6 a.m., depending on when the sun came up. Very early in the morning, when most people are still sleeping, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now check this out. This is an unusual visit to a grave site. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. And sat on it. That's not normal. But it continues. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now if 
two tough, seasoned, rugged soldiers would have been so frightened that it's like, oh, they passed out or dropped to the ground and they looked like they were dead. If they would respond that way, then how do you think these two soft-hearted, kind, civilian women would have responded? With fear, like we all would have. But one of the questions that is interesting to ask is why were they at the tomb so early in the first place? And there's really only two plausible answers to that, and it's probably a combination of both. Grief, couldn't sleep, they were distraught. The things they had witnessed the day before, or a couple days earlier rather, were horrifying. The death of their rabbi, their master, their savior. So grief brought them there. Why so early? Again, maybe because they couldn't sleep, but more likely because they didn't want to be seen unnecessarily by too many people. I mean, if you happen to be really good friends with someone who was outed as a terrorist, let's say, and they were put to death by capital execution, would you want to be seen 48 hours later or so mourning at their gravesite? Probably not. And if for whatever reason you were compelled to go, you'd probably want to go pretty early as well so that no one could see you. So we have vulnerability implicit in the text. They were vulnerable because there was grief present in their lives. There was probably a measure of fear present in their lives. Either way, they would have been upset before they even got to the gravesite. But when they get there, to make matters worse, there's an earthquake. That's frightening. There's these glowing celestial beings there. That's frightening. And if you've ever had a bad day, Mary and Mary can relate to you. This initially appeared to be a very, very bad day. They expected to see Jesus' tomb occupied. But instead, the angels speak a word of hope and blessing upon these early disciples. And there's a message here for us to consider as well as we listen to the words of the angels. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And there we have it. This incredible declaration is brimming, overflowing with hope for you and for me. God's messengers offer to replace fear with hope. Why is Holy Week, the week of Easter, also Hope Week? For several reasons. Consider the accomplishments of the resurrection. Here's the first one. If you go back to the text, the resurrection erases fear. The resurrection erases fear. The angels say to these women, 
Do not be afraid. Afraid of what? <laughs> Long list. How about hopelessness? How about the potential for being arrested? How about the opinion of man? How about the supernatural? It's not every day you see two glowing angels like freaking you out bright and early in the morning. How about death? Church, all of the things without exception in this life that bring fear are erased because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God shows himself to be present in the darkness. Fear eases. Fear ultimately is erased. When we understand that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He declared himself to be the eternal son of God, to have power over life and death. Some people laughed at that. Other people embraced it. Those that embraced it were proven to be right. Fear erases, or the resurrection rather erases fear in our lives. Jesus also did what he said he'd do. He predicted that he would be resurrected in three days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he's resurrected. And Jesus is where he said he'd be, out of the grave. Why is that important? Why didn't Jesus just run a marathon and run faster than anyone else that's ever ran? Why didn't he create something that no one else could create to prove that he was God? Why didn't he perform like a greater miracle than anyone could ever possibly imagine? Well, those things would have been awesome, and he did a lot of awesome things. But the reason why he conquered death is because death is the ultimate punishment, and death is the ultimate enemy for all living things. What these women first thought was frightful became delightful. What first made them afraid positioned them for worship. What are the implications for you and for me? Well, how about this? God can be trusted every day. His offer of eternal life is real. It's real. He's completely in charge. And he will never give me more challenge, trial, or temptation than I can handle with his help. These are the promises of God. So the next time you're afraid, and it might be today, it might be as I speak, think to yourself, hmm, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to me? Well, I think we would all agree that the very worst thing that could ever happen to anyone is death. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where all nasty things potentially lead us. So the the worst thing that could ever happen to a person is death. Well, thank God Jesus conquered the worst thing. Jesus 
was resurrected from the dead. And this is why we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we come together on Easter Sunday and celebrate the Lord Jesus. Every once in a while in the mail, we will get a sheet of coupons, generally to a fast food restaurant, and there's various coupons you can rip off and different meal deals you can get, and there's a price tag attached, two for one or 50% off or whatever it might be. Now, suppose you received a sheet of coupons and you thought to yourself, man, I didn't realize I was that loved by such and such restaurant, Incorporated. Talk about a, a beautiful thing for them to be thinking of me. And they had my name in their mind and they, they knew I was hungry or they knew I liked burgers or fries or whatever. And they, they sent this to me. Then you realize this, this isn't really all that personal. Everybody in the neighborhood got the same sheet of coupons. Not a big deal. And then you, as you think about it, you realize, well, the real reason why the company sent the coupons is because they know that I'll probably buy more than I would if I didn't go at all, or I'll become a repeat customer. So there's some benefit to them. There's a financial payoff to them. It's not a, it's not a gift. It's smart business practices to try to get you to buy their product. There's a lot of things in the world that are very impersonal. Coupons are impersonal. A lot of things in this world that are very impersonal. But Jesus' gift to us is very personal. It's not just a general gift, sort of thrown out there with no names attached and without you in mind. Our God has the capacity to know each of us intimately and personally. We see that in this event illustrated this way, that the resurrected one, that is Jesus, knows you personally. Because as these angels speak a word of hope and encouragement into Mary and Mary's lives, it says, do not be afraid. The one you seek is not here. And in all of that, there's these words. I know that you seek. I know that you seek. God knew that Mary and Mary would seek him out. That's how the angels knew, because God had revealed it to them. God had revealed it to them. So think about this. The God that sustains the universe. You know how big the universe is? We don't even know. It's so huge. The God that had the power to resurrect Jesus from the grave. The God that is managing Billions of people, billions of animals, and presumably billions of stars and countless galaxies, that God, not some pipsqueak God, but a magnificent, sovereign God, knew what Mary and Mary were seeking. In that moment, at that time, The God who sustains the universe had his eye on these two sweet sisters. He cared for them. He loved them. He felt their pain. And so he reminds them that he was very much aware 
of their intention and their circumstances. That same God knows your concerns and your fears as well. He knows your anxious moments. He knows about your hopeless thoughts. He knows all of your questions. He knows you by name. Isn't that a beautiful thought for us to consider? The resurrected one knows us personally. He understands the pressure that we often feel. Our concern for the unknown. Man, I wish I knew what was going to happen tomorrow and next week and next month. I wish I knew when my latest trial was going to end. Oh, I wish I knew. God knows about all those emotions and mental meanderings. He knows about all of that. And then we have this statement, who was crucified? Why, why do we need to know that? We already know that Jesus was crucified. We know what happened on Good Friday. Why does the angel kind of insert that little phrase back into the text? You're you're seeking Jesus, the one who was crucified. Well, we know he was crucified. So why, why the reminder? Hint, hint. Why the reminder? Because it serves as a subtle reminder that there was a purpose attached to Jesus' death. God always has a purpose for pain if we wait. On Friday... Jesus' disciples were like, what in the world is happening here? We didn't see this coming. We didn't think it would turn out this way. Defeat. But now on Easter, we see the rest of the story. And in the same way, church, there's always a purpose for our confusion and our pain too as we share in the sufferings of Christ. God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that everything is good. But God works all things out for his ultimate glory and our ultimate good. We can trust in that. What lessons is God trying to teach you through the pain and the challenges of the moment? I was thinking about this, this past week, and I was thinking, man, this, is, this has got to be the most stripped down Easter ever. Ever. No live service. We're meeting online. No family gatherings this afternoon. Not allowed to. Some in our church, even in my own family, have lost their jobs. We're all feeling a little fragile, a little insecure. Don't touch that. Better wash my hands. No Easter egg hunts. This has got to be the most stripped down Easter ever. But you know, I actually believe that this has the potential to be one of the best Easter's we've ever seen in our generation. You know why? No distractions. 
No materialism. No extra celebrations. All we have right now is Jesus. But he's all we need. He really is all we need. Nothing to distract us from Jesus. Hear this then. Into this moment that we find ourselves. Hear Jesus speaking a word of comfort and hope to you personally. He knows what you're feeling. He knows your challenges, your your weaknesses, your blind spots. Let him speak the same words of comfort into you. The crucified one knows you by name. And then finally, church, we learn that the resurrection is, in fact, victory. He is not here for he has risen. He is not here for he has risen. This is the bedrock of the Christian faith. Normally on Easter Sunday, we come into church and we say to each other, he has risen. And the person responds back, he has risen indeed. Well, we're not in each other's presence, but maybe we could practice this through the venue of the television. So I'm going to say he has risen. And you need to say he has risen indeed. And hopefully we'll hear each other across the city or wherever we might be. So here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is our hope. And this comes from this text. He is not here for he has risen. So we have evidence for our faith, do we not? We have an empty grave. We have fulfilled prophecy and promises. And we have eyewitnesses, not just these two women, but others that would come to the tomb as well and see that the tomb was empty. And because it was empty, they were no longer empty, but they were filled with certain hope. Death is no longer our enemy. You know what death is like now? It's like a rattlesnake with no teeth. It rattles, makes a lot of noise and racket, tries to frighten you, and looks a little creepy. But it's been defanged. It's like a lion, roaring, growling, but its teeth have been pulled out, and it's been declawed. It can't really do much to you. Bat you around a little bit but has no capacity to actually take you down. It's like a scorpion whose venom, whose stinger has been removed. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, oh, where death is your sting? Where is your victory? It's been taken from you because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're feeling empty today, here's God's counsel to you. Go look inside of the empty tomb. This is one gravesite you will enjoy visiting. We needn't go physically, but we can enter that place through the portal of Scripture. And there we will be reminded that the lack of death that is found in Jesus' empty tomb is actually an offer of eternal life to those that know him and are the called. This is a hollow place that actually fills our hollowness and our emptiness with hope and peace. 
So when we're in Jesus' tomb, through the eyes of faith, and we, we find ourselves there, this is not some creepy place. This is not some eerie place where we holler out, hello, and all we hear back is, hello, hello, hello. This is not that kind of a place. It's not that kind of a hollow, empty place. This is a place where when we holler out, hello, where are you, Jesus? We hear his angels, the angel of the Lord speaking back, oh, he is not here. He is risen. And we are filled with hope and peace. As we look at our own bodies, and I can look at mine right now, and I can see signs of death in my own body. Oh, I got some wrinkles going on. I have some soreness in my back. Maybe from time to time I got to take some medication for some illness. My hair's thinning out. As we look at our own bodies, we can see signs of impending death. That's why we don't like to go to grave sites, because tombs remind us of the weakness of man. But this is a different tomb. Because this tomb reminds us of the strength of God Almighty. And his tomb is not just his tomb, it becomes our tomb. As we put our faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on Calvary. When we put our faith in what Jesus has accomplished for us, that tomb becomes our tomb, our spiritual debt to God can be erased through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So every time you start feeling a little empty inside, here's what you need to do. Go visit his tomb once again. Remember what Jesus has accomplished. It is there that you will find lasting peace and lasting hope. Remember this. If he rose, he rose for you too. And he did. That is our hope. That is why we worship the Lord today. We're looking forward, of course, to the day when we'll be with him fully in his presence forevermore. Be encouraged by these words in Jesus' name.